Blog Talk Radio. Um, and now uh, we're going to be seeing Venus uh, 
when the sun sets. It'll become the evening star, that very bright star. Um, traditionally, that means that Venus following the sun brings uh, beauty into the background and a more uh, thoughtful uh, sense of that balance and um, and um, you know creative love in into the background rather than having it preceding the sun where it becomes sort of a focal point of of for people it becomes something that becomes i think more internal so it's nice to have venus behind the sun it, it's bringing the love inside it it becomes a behind our solar energy rather than in front of it so we are right now venus transiting pretty much going to be going right across um, the the sun because there'll be a conjunction within the next week or so. Um, Mercury is is retrograde and um, it's only going to be retrograde for a few more days. It's not going to go. It's not going to go as far back down in Pisces as Neptune because Neptune's in the third degree and um, Venus uh, Mercury is going to go direct in the fifth degree of Pisces. Uh, it's still close. Uh, it's going to be, you know, within a couple of degrees. I think it makes us more psychic. It actually still includes that psychic energy of Pisces. But as you put um, uh, Mercury with with uh, Neptune, you get a very um, higher, more sensitive mind to begin with. And with both of them in um, in in Pisces, I, I was thinking the other night that this has been a profound time for uh, dreaming. I've had that. I know many of my clients have come in, uh, my partner, um, just friends, people that I know. We're, we've been doing a lot of dream interpretation lately. So anybody out there who'd like to talk about dreams and dreaming, uh, some of these Pisces phenomenon that have been going on for us, please give me a call. We'll be happy to take a look at that and um, interpret uh, some dream space. That number is 213-943-3395. So that's, I think, one thing is pay attention to what's going on in your unconscious right now. It's hard to do if we don't quiet ourselves down. Obviously, sleep does that. We quiet quiet the mind down, and then the unconscious is able to speak to us in symbols uh, in the dream world. But in the waking world, if we quiet the mind down, the unconscious mind actually can speak to us in English or whatever your native tongue is. And you, because what you're really listening to is the voice of your own intuition. And it will speak to you. It doesn't have to speak to you. And the dream world is pure unconscious. So it's all symbolic. Um, but in the waking world and in a meditative state, your unconscious mind can communicate to you much more clearly and directly. Something like in a hypnotic, in a, hyp, in a hypnosis session, you can go in and, and the, your a hypnotist can clearly communicate in in you know verbal language with your unconscious mind. I, I think anybody that's wanting to look at gaining some access right now, we still have a really uh, a wonderful opportunity to sort of dive in and go deep into uh, our unconscious. Um, Mars in Aries is uh, much more proactive energy. So if you've been feeling, and I know I have for like the last couple of days, that now you're feeling all of a sudden maybe more motivated or like you can get things done or the ideas are out there, 
uh, yeah, grab a hold of that. You're going to be surprised at how many ideas actually come to you because Mars is going to be conjunct to Uranus in Aries within the next, say, week and a half, two weeks. Very strong, very strong, very creative energy for initiative, for, you know, initiating things and saying like, wow, I really need to get this out of me. It almost is sort of a restlessness. There's a restlessness for creating and, and, and having our vision get put out into the world. That is going to become even stronger after the 21st when the sun goes into um, Aries. And, of, of course, it's going to follow um, Venus and Mercury will go into Aries, and then there will be even more of this energy for initiative. But the big one was Mars to begin with. Mars rules Aries, so Mars right now is in its ruling sign. Well, I think it can create some global tension, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, and probably even next week we'll focus on it more, um, because Mars will be square Pluto, because Mars is going to add its energy to Uranus, and we know we have that Uranian Pluto square that we've been working on for years and years. We've talked about it a lot. I did the special show last Monday and spoke a lot about it. But when Mars adds its energy to Uranus, I think in the next week or so we might see some sort of sudden rash bravado, even more than we've seen coming out of, say, North Korea. I think we're going to see something entirely more um, aggressive. That's a good Mars word. And, you know, not to be alarmist or whatever, it can blow over quite quickly because Uranian energy comes and goes. But the Mars energy is very strong, and to add it to Uranus is very volatile. Mars-Uranus combinations traditionally create rash actions, not well-thought-out actions. And, um, you know, being that it's square to Pluto, there, there's an aggressive energy there. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll, we'll see how that pans out over the next couple of weeks as Mars moves further into Aries, but certainly, you know, fairly quickly. It's not going to spend too many months in Aries. Jupiter moving forward in Gemini, it's really moving much more quickly now, and it's on its way into Cancer during the summer. Um, not really making too many aspects right now. Jupiter is still just hanging there. It's in positive aspect to Uranus. If anything, I think it's still adding the levity that we need during these heavy times. Saturn, retrograde in Scorpio, also I don't think contributing too much tension. It's actually stabilizing Pluto because they're both at 11 degrees and um, Saturn is in a sextile relationship with Pluto right now. That's a stable, positive relationship. And in, a, in that kind of relationship, Saturn has a tendency to stabilize energy. So there's a, sta there's a, a more grounded, more stabilized force on, that, on, on Pluto than, uh, than there will be when Saturn uh, continues to retrograde away from that uh, Saturn-Pluto sextile. Um, Neptune, like I said before, continuing to create a new, you know, 10 to 12 year era of um, global um, connectedness, of global union, I think of spiritual renaissance, if there's any sign that really speaks about um, a true spiritual experience, it's Pisces. Uh, Sagittarius has to do with spiritual philosophy and spiritual ideology, but Sagittarius takes it to a uh, Pisces takes it to a place where we actually understand the nature of human connectedness. 
And that's your Global Energy Minute. I'm Dr. Craig Martin, and you're listening to the Inside Connection Radio. So we're going to talk about the eighth house tonight. And, um, you know, uh, it's a complicated house because it's Scorpio, and Scorpio rules uh, things like secrecy and um, hidden hidden knowledge. That's why Scorpio rules um, astrology and uh, all forms of esoteric and occult energy. Um, this would mean, in the most simplest terms, that Scorpio is connected to information that we gain from an uh, otherworldly source. It's not information that's gained from logic, science, or experimentation. Those energies are not a part of Scorpio. And while Scorpios can be very good at that information as well, because we know how in society um, systems like law, the legal profession, or the medical profession um, they very much like to make things complicated so that it's difficult for lay people to understand. It's difficult for the regular public to understand um, uh, these more complicated, you know, what they do to law, what they do to politics, what they do to medicine, so that it, it creates a distance between um, the public and the people who learn those things. So there is something even about learned knowledge where we can create a kind of secrecy or a difficulty in accessing the information because it gets wound up in so much complicated language and, and rhetoric. And that's a kind of Scorpio thing because it's about taking even what would be simple you know, what would be simple, like, you know, legal negotiations or legal truths, those should be fairly simple, and wrapping it up in such complex language through Libra, right, the development of contracts, and Libra rules justice in the tarot, and so um, you have this whole sense of fairness from Libra, so Libra being a big part of the justice system so Libra is about language, so now all of a sudden we create more and more and more complicated language so that as we move into the eighth house, uh, it can be more, uh, not even just confusing, but even more not understandable, more mysterious. I guess that's the best word for it, more mysterious. So it's not just, say, the language of astrology or the Kabbalah, or um, the Zohar, uh, which is also Judaic mysticism, or the Upanishads, which is Vedanta, or the Bhagavad Gita, which is Hinduism. It's not just these systems of um, uh, philosophy and theology and, and, and mysticism through the ages. It's not just about predictive arts like palm reading and um, the tarot that are sort of thrown into uh, the bin of that's just too mysterious, I don't really understand it, uh, therefore, you know, I, it, it's out of my realm of knowledge, so it's mysterious to me and somebody else has the power, somebody else has the power of that particular thing. Scorpio likes that. Scorpio likes the idea that there's power in knowledge and that intellectually uh, we could learn something that might be 
um, so uh, the otherwise sort of you know um, esoteric is really the best word outside of the normal experience that's what that means like not really knowable by our five senses that Scorpio really likes that because it gives them a sense of control now the eighth house is not just about that but the eighth house rules that it rules all that energy that has to do with things that are secret things that are uh, not otherwise known and if we think about our personal relationships we know that when we go to see a lawyer or we go to see a doctor we feel like those records those relationships are private they're secret that's why those relationships are in the seventh house, but the acting out of it is in the eighth. And so we want to be able to keep our legal doings, our legal discussions, our medical discussions, our health history, just as private as our sex life and our financial uh, situation. So there's another relationship, like with a financial advisor, which is also a very private eighth house relationship where you kind of open up and you create an intimacy with someone like your accountant. Interesting that it's such a uh, customarily such a cut and dry relationship in many ways, and yet it has all this energy of privacy that needs to be maintained between you and this person who's working with your finances. The government is also a part of the eighth house and learning to negotiate with the government because they are part of your life from the time you're born until the time you die. Uh, the government documents your birth and documents your death, monitors your education to create a record of that, monitors your health care, monitors the amount of money that you earn so that you can pay a certain percentage of that into the government. So that relationship as well is a part of the eighth house because it's supposed to be something private between you and the country that you live in. Those records are not supposed to be just sort of public knowledge. They're supposed to be private relationship between you and the government, what you owe for taxes or what the government owes you back, for that matter, if you overpaid. So the eighth house is very complicated because, it, because it's secretive. So if there's a certain part of eighth house energy that's private and, um, you know, isn't something that's, you know, readily explained or um, readily um, available for everybody to see, then, um, then, it, then it's energy that's more difficult, say, to explain what those lessons are to people if they have planets in the eighth. I like to look at the eighth house from two, a twofold place. One is the place of emotionally intense experience, explaining it by saying that it's the house of emotionally intense experience, and secondly, that it's about the house of shared experience, sharing. So let's look at this first this first uh, facet of um, of of the eighth house first, which is that it's about emotionally intense experience. Okay. So when 
in any of these examples, it doesn't matter whether it's the relationship with the lawyer, the relationship with the medical doctor, the relationship with your spouse, they're all seventh house relationships that establish contracts. When you move from there into the eighth house, you, you have the emotionally intense experience of having lived out the contract. If you needed to go and see a lawyer, the first thing the lawyer would do is make you sign some paperwork hiring the lawyer, saying this is what I would do, this is what I'll do for you, this is what you'll do for me. You know, like they'll they'll take your case and you'll pay them a certain amount of money. Same thing with a medical doctor. You go to a medical doctor and, you you know, you want the medical doctor to explain to you what's going on with you. Then they may suggest a solution. They say to you, I'll suggest a solution if you pay me this amount of money. It's sort of the unspoken contract between us and these professionals. Now, we're dealing, remember, with energies that we don't necessarily want a lot of other people to know about. It's our privacy, it's our health, or whatever. So initially, all that information is kept private. But if the medical doctor, let's say the medical doctor needs to do some kind of a surgical procedure on you or something like that, right, the experience becomes extremely emotional, if you need to, you know, press a, a case with somebody in your legal in the legal field further, it becomes even more serious. Your therapist, if you have a, a, a therapist of some kind, your astrologer, anybody that helps do guidance with you, that's also a seventh house relationship, and it becomes more emotionally complicated as you move into the eighth house realm, as the let's say in all of these relationships, the client becomes more comfortable disclosing or revealing what it is that's going on with them so that the person who's advising them can help them. That, though, that it level of intimacy and emotional honesty is also Scorpio because it includes all of this secrecy. Now, when it's happening between a husband and a wife or partners, um, when it's happening between spouses, you have all kinds of things that are going on in that relationship that get brought to the emotionally intense experience level. Your sex life, the fact that one of you will, if you stay together, die before the other one. So death is also in the eighth house. Um, the uh, the shared bank account, because it does also have to do with shared money. All of those things bring up strong emotionally intense experiences. On a, an even more kind of remote note, because I'm hearing bring up this idea of, you know, death and separation, is that as um, children of parents or as the spouse of a husband, there's also a will. And so the eighth house also has to do with the rectification of wills, the, um, you know, the working out of someone's last will, because... If you're the child of someone, then there's a certain unwritten contract that then when they pass away, some of their material wealth is going to get passed on to you. And so that's a part of an unspoken contract that's also binding legally because there's a whole set of um, you know laws that are actually written into the books that say, like if someone dies without a will, this is how the state will divide up the money as far as dispersing it to relatives. 
you know, like if it's not specifically written, the state recognizes those contractual agreements between families. So that's interesting because that also goes in again by saying that many of these things have to do with laws. Many of these experiences that happen in the eighth house have to do with laws and agreements that are created in the seventh. So inheritance is a part of the eighth house also because um, of, again, the, the, the binding nature of family and marriage. And so that through death, um, then um, mutually jointly held monies go to the next person. And jointly held means that if you are the wife of the, you know, the, uh, the, or if you're the spouse of someone, that it's that that you're entitled to the 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 financial assets if that other person passes away if you're the child of someone uh likewise you're also entitled to some part of those assets if the if the uh if the parent passes away so the eighth house has a whole layer of um inherited money and we talk about um a really interesting phrase in the eighth house is what you owe and what is owed to you what you owe and what is owed to you and when you think about that and how intense that sounds because that also you can bring the IRS in right away they're in the eighth house the government the IRS is in the eighth house and so what you owe what you owe to the government because there's that contract that the government is providing you with education roads um, military safety, uh, social security, <clears throat> a whole lot of you know nets that whatever for whatever your political beliefs are that are that are there that are already established by the government. You know, sort of unarguable that the government provides you with literally with with a with a boundary. Right, each country has some kind of a geographic boundary, and it's your government that maintains that. So literally, just for you to say that you're an American. It has to be the American government that's maintaining the boundary of America if there was no government. So one of the things the government does for you is they actually provide you with a country that you can self-identify. And then beyond that, they defend the country. They hopefully educate people. They hopefully provide for you when you become old. And then they create infrastructure like um, – you know, roads and other governmental things like the parks and whatever. I don't have to get into a list of political things that the government does. But in return, you owe them a portion of your income tax. That's a that's what that's what the exchange is. So the government does provide you with these things and in return you provide them a portion of your income as taxable in exchange. That's the the intense emotional agreement that's going on between you and the government and we know how intense and emotional it can get when we see the way that it plays out in politics in Washington that's that's the emotional scorpionic drama eighth house drama that emerges from people trying to establish contracts and then renegotiate them over and over and over again because none of the seventh house contracts in government are ever static 
They don't. They, they're they're constantly renegotiated so that you can go in one day. I mean, you can see the way it is. They want to do things like you know change Medicare or Medicaid. So it's like saying, well, we made laws about those things, and now you want to change those laws. It's like, right? We want to alter the agreement. We want to go back in and alter the Seventh House Agreement, change the law, and in and and then be able to from 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 the next perspective um change the emotional reaction that we have to it as a society and of course even the knowledge of it changing creates an emotional reaction it doesn't even have to be changed so what you owe and what is owed to you all in these relationships so there's the idea of um of a of a spousal relationship where you can think when you get involved with somebody that there's a wifely or husbandly duty. Some of that could be sexual, some of that could be what husbands and wives do around the house, you know, like the chores. It could be like, you know, the wifely duty is to keep the house clean and the husband's duty is to take the trash out or whatever. It doesn't matter whether it's traditional or non traditional. There are there are expectations about what we're each owed by each other in these contracts and the living out of that is Scorpio. When it works out well, when people feel happy and contented with um, the way that the negotiation is going, then it brings out the best in Scorpio. It brings out a bond of trust. It brings out a bond of trust in an eighth house issue. It brings out a bond of trust, a deep bond of intimacy, People are satisfied with their relationship. They're satisfied with their sex life. They're satisfied with the way they manage their money. There's a lot of privacy around that. Um, you know, you might hear people say, like, oh, things are good between us, but it's only really when it's not good do you hear more of the details. <laughs> um it's uh it's interesting how the you know the darker side of scorpio when we when we're feeling emotionally slighted by the contract that then there becomes distrust and revenge and jealousy and sarcasm and other qualities that are in the 8th house that are the more dark shadow sides all the way up to and including a certain kind of bitterness and long-standing anger that people can have um, when they have a, a lot of eighth house issues because um, if we feel betrayed, emotionally betrayed, like Scorpio can feel emotionally betrayed, if in the eighth house we feel emotionally betrayed, then that can go, you know, uh, create a place where people become chronically distrustful and chronically develop a belief that, you know, the world is out to get them, the world's not fair, that, you know, the, basically that, that the world is a dark and dangerous place. It's a very eighth house feeling. And then it can lead to a great deal of bitterness that life is not fair and life doesn't treat people fairly. So there is that on the shadow side of of the eighth house is that there there's always the possibility that um, you know in learning the lessons of emotional intense experiences and sharing what I owe and what is owed to me in learning those lessons that we might find we encounter people where 
they don't live up to the contracts and we're chronically disappointed by the way that people behave and that we take that personally rather than recognizing that that's about them rather than us. And, of course, when we take that personally and we start to believe that the world betrays us, then we have a tendency, again, right, through the power of the law of attraction, to manifest situations where people betray us. And, um, you know, that that's sort of a, of, of a cycle that becomes really difficult, I think, with people with strong eighth house lessons. I, I'm actually working with someone right now who has a lot of planets in the 8th, in Sagittarius. And they're all low number, and for those of you who are following the, you know, the planets in the astrology, you know that Neptune is in low uh, degrees of Pisces, and so Neptune is square to uh, many of the planets in this person's chart that are, you know, uh, zero degrees to three degrees of Sagittarius. And it seems like over the last couple of years, there's been a repeating sense of um, betrayal, and um, not just the Neptune, not just the Neptune part, but an actual, which feels a little deceptive, but a, but a real betrayal of contracts um, that are that's going on. So it, it's been it's been hard to explain. Uh, to this person, you know, that, that it lasts a long time and that, that, that the lesson needs to be learned about how this isn't something personal, that you can actually move through and go beyond uh, a personal layer of, a layer of betrayal if you can recognize that it's not about you. If you continue to personalize the belief, then, of course, you're going to continue to manifest it. The, the second part of uh, the 8th house that I was um, uh, going to talk about, I was just looking over at the switchboard, and it looks like for a second week I'm not really having, um, you know, a lot of callers. I think I'm going to have to, um, you know, either publicize the show more. I did put it out on Twitter tonight, but a couple of weeks it's, it's a little odd. So if anybody wants a reading, tonight's a great night to get one because right now, I'm um, just hanging out, and I don't have anyone in the switchboard. And I know there's a couple of people in the chat room, but um, but the, the switchboard is open. And so if you'd like for me to look at your chart, please feel free to call in. Um, either way, that's fine. The, um, uh, the second thing I was going to mention was this idea of sharing. Sharing. The... Um, second house and Taurus is about is about what is mine and uh, Scorpio is about what is ours what is ours it's really about um, building something together financially and emotionally what is ours um, it's why I think when people get divorced that it's so painful because that's a that's a that's a death of what is ours and so that again, that two-sided face of Scorpio where you can build something together and then you can go through the emotionally intensive experience of having to dissolve what you have together and because all of those endings are also a part of Scorpio. Divorce is like death because at the time that it happens, um, you know, that there's going to now be a separation. There's no longer going to be an us, whether that's through divorce or death. 
the the energy, the same energy behind the emotionally intense experience, right? Divorce and death, they're both pretty emotionally intense. It takes over and there needs to be then a emotional resolution to the fact that there is no longer going to be an us. So the shared experience does come to an end. It's kind of interesting. Even obviously if we try to stay together as long as we can, we're going to reach a point where right, um, something will do us part <laughs> for one reason or another. Uh, life will step in and, and there's going to be a natural separation of energies between people, whether that's through death or whether that's through other um, uh, reasons, whether it's sometimes relationships are just done. I guess you can have a relationship with a doctor or a lawyer your whole lifetime. Uh, you can have a relationship with a therapist your whole lifetime, and sometimes you can choose to say you either want to end that relationship, you'll move on with someone new, you know, but it's an emotionally intense experience when any of those relationships are changed or ended through separation or death. All of that is about the eighth house. All of those energies are what we're learning in the eighth house and the energy that we're bringing to um to ourselves when we have eighth house planets so if someone has um a planet in the eighth house or more than one planet those are the lessons they're the lessons to learn about emotionally intense experiences sharing what i owe someone and what they owe me um jointly held property and then all of the things and the way that they become secretive the way that they become secretive energies. So everything in the 8th house is also very private. There's a lot of privacy. And um, depending upon, you know, what we see there in the 8th house will depend upon the way in which that gets gets played out. Sometimes you can see... Um, Somebody might have, let's say, like Sun and Leo in the eighth house. Then they want to be able to say, like, no secrets here. You know, I can come out and talk all about my sex life and whatever else. And, you know, like, I'm just, I'm a completely open book. It's very rarely that that's true, even when it's Leo in the eighth house, that they that they might be showing off how open they are, but inside there's something that's even deeper or more secretive than that. If you saw something like Sagittarius in the eighth house, there might also be a philosophical understanding or philosophical um, or even a religious experience behind uh, death and dying, sexuality, things like uh, tantric sexuality. That comes to mind when thinking about the combination between Sagittarius and the eighth house. Pisces in the eighth house can very much be about being able to communicate with the dead or um, or being an addict to sexuality, um, something like that. There are, are other possibilities as well, including art that's inspired by sexuality or art that's inspired by death and dying or by loss. Um, person with Pisces in the eighth house has to watch out to be martyred not to be martyred in sexuality, things like that, too. If it were Gemini, it might be somebody who were wanting to constantly talk about the emotional experiences. I'm thinking about somebody also from my practice who has uh, Gemini, Sun in the Eighth. Yeah. 
and 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 very talkative about the emotional experiences and you know having to verbalize all the time uh some of those also those bitter or despairing experiences where the contract doesn't work out the way that someone might expect so you can see depending upon the energy that's in the eighth that the theme of the eighth is the same it's about the lessons about learning about the um, emotionally intense experiences of life and the way that that works out for us, whether that's in the in the light or more in the shadow. Um, awesome. I'm going to leave you tonight with Neural Sparkly and Crazy. I'm Dr. Craig Martin. I'll be here next Thursday. We'll be looking at the ninth house. A few more weeks of um, of my discussion of the houses. Maybe some of these topics are a little bit more technical, and maybe that's why more people are listening, because certainly in the archives, hello to my archives listener, uh, my archive listeners, it's been uh, as full as ever. So um, I will uh, see you uh, next Thursday. We'll have a, a good show then about spirituality, uh, God, theology, philosophy, and um, moving into the, the last four signs and the higher truths about uh, society and uh, mankind in general. And, and I look forward to that, and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my Oh,